the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Who knew that Canada's food guide could become an election issue, let alone a partisan one? Conservative leader Andrew Scheer says the new food guide is ideologically driven, and he's promising to take a second look at it if elected prime minister. Scheer made the comments to an audience of dairy farmers, an audience that's been very good to him, actually clinching the leadership race for him because they did not like the then frontrunner's stand on supply management. He also laughingly told the audience that chocolate milk probably saved his son's life because his son is such a picky eater. The food guide recommends water as the top drink of choice, though if you read further in, it does say low-fat milk is a healthy alternative. Joining Libby Snymer to discuss, nutritionist and author Rose Reisman, as well as Sylvain Charlebois, Senior Director of Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University in Halifax. What Mr. Shear said last week is... Uh is dangerous because I actually do believe that there was a lot of science uh, to uh, given to the process. Uh, not all the science, that's another debate, but uh, the process was indeed scientific. And, and, and not to allow industry to play an active role uh, was a prudent choice. However, I would say um, in, in Mr. Shear's defense that perhaps uh, some of the research um, commissioned by the industry uh, should be recognized in the process because there's, uh, I mean, myself uh, and many of my colleagues uh, have to obey to a strict ethical rules around conflict of interest, uh, how research is funded, and and so that that filter really allows the research to have some credibility and and to basically just push aside, brush aside millions of dollars of research uh, may not be great, but at the same time you need peer review peer-reviewed science in order to support uh, the elaboration of the, of the food guide. So no, I don't believe that the process was, was ideologically driven and yes, there was bias because everyone is always biased on anything, but there was bias towards science. And that's a good thing. Rose Reisman, do you believe that it was weaponized? Um, You know, I think it's, again, political. And I hate to compare ourselves to our American neighbors. But to get a vote, people will say anything. It's it is one of the most ridiculous comments I've ever heard. Because we're not a healthy nation right now. And I think it's great if his child loved chocolate milk and saved his life. Okay, but you believe that chocolate milk? Not at all. Not at all. I know raising four kids, there wasn't chocolate milk in my home. Uh, I then made the mistake of giving them juice because Canada's food guide said a juice is equivalent to half a fruit serving. Now we know it may have given them cavities. We know that it wasn't as good as what we thought it was. My daughter, who's got young children, raises them on water. And the food guide's not telling you not to drink milk, not to have meat. They're saying, let's play down the level a bit and let's not get these industries pay for their advertisements on these guides. I am so happy this is happening. On the question of milk, the guide further down does say low-fat milk is a healthy alternative. Uh, Harvard Public School of Health says uh, that uh, milk should be consumed in moderation. And I don't think they meant 
chocolate milk, Sylvain. How nutritious is it? <laughs> right. We all know that chocolate milk is is a matter of survival, right? <laughs> Uh, now, again, uh, I, I think that Mr. Shear uh, meant to say that uh, a bit as a joke, but he is, he is the leader of a federal party and, and quite influential uh, to suggest that his son's life was, uh, was saved by milk chocolate is, is frankly a disservice to, to dairy farmers themselves. Uh, they actually do produce a wholesome, natural product called milk, and milk is used in thousands of healthy products out there and uh, and to suggest that milk chocolate is is important uh, or even as important as milk itself is uh, is honestly a mistake and i think he's going to pay for it for a while sylvain uh, how important is the food guide do you find that people actually pay attention to it no the formal one no because uh, we actually did a survey on this uh, back in march and uh and the food guide as a document, uh, influential document when it comes to nutrition, is ranked sixth overall uh, behind cookbooks and uh, pamphlets uh, uh, produced by celebrities. And, and so the, the food guide wasn't overly influential uh, for, two, for a couple of reasons. One, it, it became obsolete, to be honest, and it was very dated. The last one actually uh, goes back to 2007. Things have changed. Now uh, Now with this new guide, we actually uh, went back to the field and uh, asked uh, Canadians just a month ago whether or not they actually have changed their food habits as a result of, of some recommendations provided by the new food guide. And 34% of Canadians have actually acknowledged uh, that they have made some changes and some tweaks to their diets as a result of what was recommended in this new food guide. So I think it was not overly influential for a long time, but it is, it is actually gaining more attention. Sylvain Charlebois, Senior Director of Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University and nutritionist and author Rose Reisman. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. This past week, there were touching memorials and vigils marking the one-year anniversary of the Danforth mass shooting and to honor the victims who were killed and injured. The horrific event has made an indelible mark on the city, especially residents of the vibrant Danforth neighborhood. Police have said the motive was inconclusive, though the shooter had a history of mental illness. Libby was joined by terrorism and security expert Ross McLean and William Shatton, a forum research who also touched on the results of a new poll on a handgun ban. So we surveyed uh, in Toronto at uh, the first week of July, and uh, the majority of Torontonians felt that 62% felt that a handgun ban would reduce the number of shootings committed by gangs in Toronto. Uh, 38% said it would not. And as I said, the majority kind of across the board felt that it would to varying degrees when you kind of break it out by different factors. Uh, However, it's only when you kind of look at uh, political parties that you sort of see a divide um, along kind of traditional party lines. And you see that uh, kind of conservatives, those who identify and vote with conservatives, as well as the People's Party of Canada, uh, are less likely to support uh, the handgun ban or think that it will have less impact on a number of shootings, whereas Liberal and NDPers uh, are way more supportive of the handgun ban and think it will have a larger impact uh, in the city. 
Let's bring in Ross McLean. And Ross, the police have said that the motive was inconclusive. The shooter had a history of mental illness. Uh, We saw that he visited some ISIS sites. Uh, What do you make of that? Uh, well, in, in short, Libby, it's it's inconclusive because it was written as an inconclusive report. If one was to go over that entire report, all it is is a, is a list of evidence with no real analysis into it and no real follow-up on some of the more serious questions that are in it. Uh, but from my point of view, the number of red flags that line up that match with, uh, with uh, jihadi terrorist-type occurrences are overwhelming. The numbers that line up with mental illness are very, very, very little. So the the report is inconclusive because I don't think it wanted to draw a conclusion, which I which I think uh, one has to wonder if there's a political uh, reason behind that, not wanting to be able to call it for what it is. William Shatton, you did specifically look at gangs in this poll, but do you have any indication of how an event like the Danforth shooting and then there was also the van killing make people change their opinions or come out more strongly in favor of a handgun ban? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. So, I mean, we've seen this in the past and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll point to some other kind of international examples, right? But, um, you know, Australia had came out with very, very restrictive uh, gun laws after they experienced a, uh, the Port Arthur massacre, it's called, in 1996. And then uh, more recently uh, with New Zealand um, as well, right, and how they quickly moved to implement uh, tighter gun restrictions after uh, their recent uh, shooting, the mosque uh, church shooting in Christchurch. So there typically does tend to be uh, kind of a, a larger push, um, you know, for gun re- like legislation after an event like this occurs. Um, so it's possible that uh, right now, this is coming up to the, uh, we surveyed it was uh, the one year, close to the one year anniversary of the Danforth case. Uh, you know, so this could be kind of, emphasizing people to be a little more uh, restrictive with their um, kind of gun policies and kind of uh, playing on that, um, you know, recent massacre. William Shatton, what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see going into the election, like if this topic comes up in the debate between, uh, you know, some of the political parties and the political leaders as we get onto the campaign trail. So interesting to, to keep an eye out as this, uh, as this election campaign ramps up. And Ross, do you think that we will hear anything further official about this shooting? I don't think we're going to hear anything more unless something comes up from some other operation somewhere else that shines light on it for it to be revisited. But I do agree that people have to educate themselves on the issues, talk to their MPs, MPPs, and figure out how we're going to manage uh, terrorism and murderers. I, I don't think there should be party problems on that, but there is. Terrorism and security expert Ross McLean and William Shatton of Forum Research. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We learned this past week that the Prime Minister's former Principal Secretary Gerald Butts is back to help the Liberals get reelected. The opposition Conservatives have tried to make this into a big issue, saying it means we are going to see more lav scams, all at a time when the SNC-Lavalin affair seems to have faded from public consciousness This was the focus of discussion with Fight Back's Tuesday strategy panel. Libby Zneimer was joined by conservative strategist John Capobianco, nonpartisan strategist Aleem Kanji, and liberal strategist Charles Byrd. 
I actually watched Pierre Poliver's uh, press conference and uh, it was fairly lackluster. And I have to say the media asked him more questions about his party's misbegotten position on the Canada Food Guide than they did on Gerald Butts. But let me let me say this about Gerald, who I've known for a number of years. Um, he is one of the preeminent campaign strategists of our time. He has successfully navigated both provincial and federal campaigns. He is a master of running campaigns that are rooted in policies and ideas. And I'm, I'm not surprised that the Conservatives are ter- terribly upset at his reemergence because uh, he was one of the chief architects of the come behind victory in 2015 that saw Stephen Harper uh, uh, outed from power and Justin Trudeau became when Justin Trudeau became prime minister. And um, yeah, so it's it's interesting to see this kind of faux outrage generated over a former staffer to the prime minister. And, um, you know, being prime minister or being premier is a very, very difficult role to play. Um, It requires really top quality advisors surrounding you. It has to be folks that you trust implicitly. And in the case of Gerald Butts, he and the Prime Minister go back to college days. Um, They've been firm and fast friends for the past 30 years. And you could not hope to have a more trusted advisor for the Prime Minister than Gerald Butts. And I, for one, am delighted that he'll be central to the Liberal campaign, or at least part of the Liberal campaign. Mm -hmm. Alim, do you think this is is something, have, have the Conservatives found something that they can run with? You know, I would be shocked if we didn't see a campaign, uh, you know, less than 100 days from now um, with with the opposition, the Conservatives, the NDP, and I think to a lesser extent, the Green Party, who I believe are going to have uh, a phenomenal run uh, this October. I would be surprised if they didn't use the whole issue of ethics, trust and accountability as their issue to define this election on. So... With Mr. Butts being back uh, in running the campaign, as he did uh, a number of years ago, um, and back in that inner circle, they're going to leverage that as as their sort of opportunity to say, you know what, enough of these guys, it's time for us. You know, if they can define the issue of trust and accountability as the defining issue, the ballot box issue of this election, Canadians will decide what that means and and uh, where they want to go. John Capobianco, is this uh, a winning issue for the Conservatives? Um, I think it can be, uh, and, and I think it speaks to to a narrative uh, that that the Conservatives are going to try to draw uh, regarding tr- regarding the Prime Minister and his government about about trust and about honesty, about you know fulfilling uh, election promises and and what he campaigned on you know almost four years ago, which was you know a new government, new hope and opportunity and and change, which I think we've we've you know no one has seen. Hence the polling numbers for him dropping. But here's the issue, I think, uh, quite frankly, Libby, and that is, you know, why the Liberals, knowing that bringing Gerald back is going to cause SNC Lavalin to get back into the uh, into the uh, news cycle, as we've seen it happen now for the last 24, 48 hours, uh, is beyond me. And I and I get that uh, Gerald is a good friend of of the Prime Minister's and is an, a strategist. And, but he's good at what he does, and this well, is the height of summer. Uh, but of yeah. course he is. And, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, someone would have said, you know, we're going to bring him back and we're going to publicize the fact that we brought him back because obviously somebody, you know, was, was, was proud to be able to, 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 to let the media know that he was part of that meeting that happened. Um, knowing that it's going to be, so I don't blame Pierre, uh, and the conservatives for jumping on this. In fact, you know, Jagmeet Singh, 
uh, was getting some press out of it as well, because, you know, this is an issue that severely damaged the Prime Minister and his brand, uh, and I think they were more than happy to see it go away, uh, as it did, you know, for the last couple of months, but to have this back on, and now it's going to be continue to be back on. So I think it's damaging to them, and I think the public is going to be reminded of what happened with SNC-Lavalin, and that's not going to help the party's brand. John Capobianco, political commentator, senior VP and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. Aleem Kanji, VP of Government Relations at Sutherland. And Charles Byrd, managing principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. We know that when it comes to hallway medicine, Brampton has one of the worst problems in the province. Brampton city councillors believe their city is not being treated well by the Ford PCs at Queen's Park. Last month, a campaign was launched in Brampton asking residents to share their health care stories, sign a petition, and use the hashtag FairDealForBrampton on social media to put pressure on the provincial government for immediate funding. This charge has been denied by the Ontario Health Minister while it's widely known that there's an ongoing feud between Premier Doug Ford and Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, the former leader of the Ontario PCs. Libby welcomed Joanna Downey, chair of the health section of Peel Regional Council, and Mayor Patrick Brown to discuss the issue. The government hasn't uh, denied uh, that there's a crisis in Brampton. They've just said that the province's finances uh, are in horrible shape and so they can't attend to it at at this moment. Uh, We're trying to draw more attention to the situation so they realize um, that it can't wait any longer. We have the busiest emerge right now in North America. Capacity is 90,000 at Brampton Civic per year. We have 130,000 visits. Our urgent care clinic is funded provincially for 10,000 visitors. It gets 75,000 visitors. And these are the stats directly from the limbs. Uh, so it's, 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 it's pretty ugly. Um, on top of that, uh, if you look at the, the funding per capita, it is right now uh, in, in Brampton, the average resident gets about $1,000. The provincial average is almost 2000 So if you're a Brampton resident, you get half what the rest of Ontario gets in healthcare funding. So they have to do better. We can't have uh, two-tier healthcare in Ontario where there's one quality if you live in a growing community and another if you live in, in another part of the province. We all pay the same provincial taxes in Brampton and deserve to have quality health care. Have you seen anything improve since the government came into power on the promise to end hallway health care? So there's been no funding in Brampton, unfortunately. We've actually seen it get worse. The hospital has a $21 million deficit this year, so they have to cut further. Uh, and uh, the, the Healthy Smiles program we have for, for youth is now being uh, removed. And so it actually is, unfortunately, getting worse. Um, I know Christine Elliott. She's a, a friend and a, a decent, hardworking public servant. Uh, I hope that she's going to look at this. But sometimes the squeaky wheel is the one that gets attention. And I'm really challenging the provincial government to hear our stories uh, and to respond to this. Okay. Frankly, they, they, they won government because they won in areas like Brampton. And if you, if you actually hear the stories that people are writing, one lady, Jamie Lee Ball, wrote about how she spent five days on a stretcher in a merge, bleeding. All right. Now I'd like to also bring in Joanna Downey, who is a Caledon counselor and chair of the health section of Peel Regional Council. In the region as a whole, uh, how have you felt the situation? It's always a case of getting our fair share in Peel. And often um, we are at the bottom of that list. 
um, based on our population and the numbers um, of uh, acute beds ready. Um, from a from a health perspective, from the, the health um, team within the region, um, we we focus on uh, your your public health. So the um, kind of the upstream health that keeps you out of that bed. So our focus, you know, would be to build a healthy community so that um, you're not ever getting to that hallway. Um, so I think that ultimately uh, we need to work with our provincial partners to um, keep the focus on Peel um, and on, on Brampton, namely, um, to to get what we need. What's next? How how do you take this uh, further, Mayor Brown? Well, I, I'm sure it would be the wish of people down at Queens Park uh, for us to simply uh, shut up, to be to be quiet, to not say anything. They they want people to follow their talking points, but. That's not in my nature, and it's not in our nature uh, in in Peel Region. Let me give you an example. A few months ago, they uh, canceled the express train, the GO train, that was one of the busiest GO trains in uh, Ontario. Right, they reversed that. And uh, at first, we did a polite letter, no response. Uh, And then we decided to protest. We actually drove the GO. We went went on the GO train. I invited all the local media and the provincial media on the the GO train with us, and they actually saw how bad it was, like Commuters were like sardines. And then as soon as we're on the evening news, a few days later, Doug Ford announced that they were bringing the express train uh, back. It was a foolish mistake, and I'm glad it was corrected. Well, we hope that by drawing attention to hallway medicine and these uh, poorly thought-out cuts to uh, public health, uh, that uh, they'll they'll, they'll do a similar uh, uh, thinking process. And they'll say, you know what, this was a mistake. We made a promise on hallway medicine. We made a promise on public health. We're going to honor it. Uh, I hope when they hear the stories of our residents uh, that they'll do the right thing. It's never late to do the right thing. And I'd be the first to praise Doug Ford. Doug Ford came in and said, we're actually going to fund the per capita beds in Brampton. We're, we're going to deal with the hospital deficit. We're going to build the new hospital that's been waiting for and waiting and waiting and waiting. If he did that, I'd be the first to praise him. I don't care who gets the job done for my residents. I, I, if it's liberal, NDP, or, or conservative, I'll praise anyone who does well by the city of Brampton and, and by the region of Peel. Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown and Joanna Downey, chair of the health section of Peel Regional Council. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Pat in Georgetown phoned to say she does not want Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to win re-election. I really don't think that he's going to get re-elected. The man, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't have a brain in his head. And if Gerald Butts goes back in with him, he's the one that gave us Dalton McGinty, isn't he? And what look what Dalton McGinty did to Ontario. I was a liberal, liberal but between Gretchen and, uh, and a few of the others, I have turned into being a conservative. And I think that the way that they're portraying Sheer is just terrible. I think give the man a chance. Uh, we certainly gave this young fool a chance. So <laughs> give a man with uh, maybe a little bit better experience a chance. Robert in North York phoned to say he likes Justin Trudeau and plans to vote for him again. Trudeau's the only guy I ever voted for in my life that I wanted to vote for. I always voted for the other person because I didn't like the other guy's policies. It was a negative vote. This was a positive vote. Uh, I don't care what he did with SNC-Lavalin. He did it to save jobs. He didn't do it to line his own pockets like so many other politicians in the past have. 
So he's got my vote. He got my vote last time. He's going to get my vote this time. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Jan in Guelph, who says the solution to senior debt is to be aware of the issue earlier in life. I know people can fall upon hard times during their lives and get to the point where they can't afford food when they're seniors. There's the other sort of side of the coin where people don't give any thought to their later years, especially when they're very young. Not, I didn't. I'm sure, Julie, you perhaps didn't, but I think we need to educate a certain group of people, like in the later years of school, and when they're going to work to manage their money so that they won't fall upon hard times when they're senior. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Neimer. 